What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. David Marcus is the head of Facebook Financial. He's the former president of PayPal and the vice president of messaging products at Facebook, where he ran the Facebook Messenger unit from 2014 until 2018. In this conversation, we discuss Bitcoin, stablecoins, Novi, digital wallets, Libra, Diem, financial regulation, trust issues, and the metaverse. I really enjoyed this conversation with David, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is BlockFi. BlockFi provides financial products for crypto investors. Those products include a high-yield interest account. They also include a U.S. dollar loan product against your crypto collateral and a no-fee cryptocurrency trading platform. BlockFi recently introduced a new product, the Bitcoin Rewards Credit Card. It's a normal credit card that when you swipe, they pay you in Bitcoin back rather than cash back or airline miles. You can go visit BlockFi.com slash POMP today to start earning. I'm an investor in the company and I'm a very, very happy user. I love the Bitcoin Rewards Credit Card. I think you will too. Go to BlockFi.com slash POMP today and you can start earning almost immediately. Next up is Choice. Choice is rebuilding the way you approach retirement, which starts with making it simple to include Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in your savings. More than 20,000 Bitcoiners, including me, have already signed up to start investing. That's right. I have a self-directed IRA through Choice. Whether we are talking about crypto or stocks, Choice lets you trade real Bitcoin and Amazon in the same place, all without paying a dime in capital gains taxes. And if you want to hold your private keys all the way to the moon, you can do that too. Either way, Choice is on a mission to give you full control over your retirement savings. So head on over to retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Again, retirewithchoice.com slash pomp and sign up for an account today. And one more thing, you know how I feel about this, but if you have a pro that manages your money, don't take any BS. Choice has tools for them too. Take back control today and visit retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Last but not least is Polymarket, the world's leading information markets platform, where you can trade on the most pressing global questions all on a blockchain. Choose from a variety of markets. Will Cardano support smart contracts by October? Will the U.S. have more than 100,000 COVID cases before 2022? Will Trump run for president again? With over $100 million traded in its first year, Polymarket is the go-to platform to settle the biggest debates of the day. Think you know more than the market? Trade on your beliefs and earn a return if you're right. Want tomorrow's news today? Use Polymarket to see real-time data on what the market thinks will happen. No fake news, no pundits without skin in the game. So head over to polymarket.com and make an account today. For a limited time, sign up with the referral code POMP and you'll get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. That's right, your first trade completely reimbursed up to $100. Go to the description, click on the link for more information, polymarket.co slash pod, or go to polymarket.co today and use code POMP and it'll get you that free hundred dollars trade all right let's get in this episode with david i hope you guys enjoy this one anthony pompliano runs pomp investments all views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of pomp investments you should not treat any opinion expressed by pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy but only as an expression of his personal opinion this podcast is for informational purposes only david thank you so much for joining us Glad to be here. Absolutely. Let's start first with uh, Facebook Financial. You are now the head of F2 or Facebook Financial. What what exactly is that and, and kind of what's the mission or goal of, uh, of the organization within Facebook? So it's a combination of different things, right? So you have on one side uh, the, the more traditional payment operations that uh, we uh, oversee. So think about it as Facebook Pay, 
when you buy something on one of our family of apps uh, or when you make a donation, uh, which uh, has been a, a really, really powerful product, um, and or when you actually make payments uh, today on Messenger in the US, so we have P2P payments in the US that is actually more popular than, than people believe. Uh, and then we have payments in WhatsApp in uh, India and in Brazil. So all of that is you know, running on more traditional payment rails uh, and is often branded Facebook Pay. Uh, and then on the other side uh, of the house, we have Novi, uh, which is our wallets to be for digital currencies, crypto, um, and uh, and that will enable uh, cross-border payments and a full-fledged wallet uh, with a balance and uh, and many more things to come. Um, and uh, and that's that the same team that started uh, what was then called the Libra Journey. Uh, uh, now, um, I mean, the journey started over three years ago now, uh, so a while ago. Um, and uh, and so basically that's it. Um, and then you know of course there's a number of things that are required to support all of these businesses, like you know customer service and operation compliance and all these things that are part of uh, part of that group as well. And so obviously you've had a ton of experience both before Facebook and at Facebook with payments. Uh, you recently wrote a piece that identified a, t a lot of the problems with the legacy payment rails. And maybe you can kind of just walk us through what some of those problems that you've identified are and kind of why they're problematic both in the United States and, and outside the U.S. Well, the, I mean, the main reason they're pro problematic is because they leave so many people and businesses behind. Uh, and we kind of think about financial inclusion as a problem that is not an American problem. And that's absolutely untrue. Uh, there are over 62 million adults in the U.S. who are currently unbanked uh, and left behind by the current system. Um, about 70 percent, a little shy of 70 percent of the payment volume in the U.S. still goes over ACH, which was built in the 70s and takes three days to clear. Um, so, you know, we think that that's not OK. And then when you look at it from uh, the global lens, then you have one point seven billion people who are left behind by the current financial system and about a billion that's underserved because they just uh, were born in the wrong place or live in the wrong place. And I feel that the, the way that the system is set is actually done in such a way that uh, the least you can afford it, the more penalized you are by fees and all kinds of different access problems. And we feel it's just time for a change. As a matter of fact, it's actually overdue. When you think about uh, internationally, I think a lot of folks would say, okay, I expect there to be high percentage of people who are unbanked. Um, maybe I can't determine exactly which country. I can't determine exact numbers, but that makes sense to somebody that grew up in North America. But to hear that 60 plus million Americans are unbanked or underbanked, uh, I think is shocking. Why do you think that number is so high? Is it something that is uh, kind of systematic? Is it an education thing? Is it a technology barrier? What, what's driving that? So there are lots of different reasons. And uh, and when we started on this journey, we wanted to make sure we talked to uh, many people who were actually in, in that, uh, in that uh, place where they didn't have access to the current financial system or decided proactively to not be part of it. Uh, and what we found is actually that a lot of people can have access uh, to having a bank account or opening a wallet for payments. Uh, but they decide not to because they've been burned in the past by unpredictable fees that are actually, you know, just withdrawn from their balance at the time they can afford it the least. And so they actually prefer to pay 10 percent 
uh, for uh, a, a check cashing operation uh, at one of these places that are payday lenders uh, rather than have a bank account just because of the predictability of that 10%. Um, and so, you know, that that's, says a lot about how the current system is is designed uh, and you know people who are more fortunate like you or i um we have all of these fees waived so we don't have atm fees we don't have um you know overdraft fees we don't have um all kinds of other things apply to our account and in in the us right now if your balance falls uh, under a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars um, at any given point in time, some banks actually charge you a fee uh, for having a bank account, and so just people can't afford it. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy when you start to break it down. I remember somebody one time told me that the top four banks made like $8 billion in overdraft fees. And the way they pitched it to me was uh, they basically were taking money from folks who didn't have money, right? And, and so it, it definitely is a scary situation. Um, you came from PayPal before you went to Facebook. And I always tell folks the story of, uh, I, I don't remember if it was you, uh, Stan, or uh, other folks on the Messenger team when I was at Facebook, but that was the first time I'd ever heard about Bitcoin specifically. Uh, and like a fool. I brushed it off and, and frankly didn't do too much research. I uh, wish I had listened a little bit more. Look at what happened since. <laughs> I, I, I atoned for my sins, but, uh, but definitely made a, made a mistake there. Um, walk me through kind of your journey with Bitcoin and, and uh, kind of cryptocurrencies in general. How did you come across this? And, and was it something that you were excited about right away? Did it take some time to learn about it? Just walk me through kind of the beginning. So yeah, I think the first time I came across Bitcoin was probably in 2009, uh, late 2009 or early 2010. So really, really super early in the process. Um, and uh, I started looking into it and then I'm like, okay, this is like way too geeky. And I don't right now have the time to actually, you know, really understand it fully. Um, and I kind of brushed it aside and then it came uh, back in uh, to my life uh, in uh, 2011 um, uh, when a number uh, of friends uh, and people here in Silicon Valley started to be uh, excited about it. And then I actually gave it a really legitimate shot at trying to understand. Uh, and as you know, because you've been talking about this way more than I have over the years now, um, even though it happened later, <laughs> maybe, uh, it, it just takes a ton of time to really, really, truly understand uh, what is behind Bitcoin, how it was created, how it's able to sustain all kinds of different attacks over the years and all kinds of unforeseen events. Um, and so that's when when I really focused on it is, you know, late 2011. And then it uh, carried me through uh, through to uh, 2012. Um, and uh, and I've been a fan since then. I think uh, I think it's just uh, an amazing creation, and um, and you know that I, I don't think can be replicated or will be replicated ever. So it's got this uniqueness to it that I find uh, really appealing um, in this uh, current economic climate. Bitcoin's always one of those assets that uh, I describe to people. Folks will be able to understand how it works if you tell them but they'll say, yeah, but that's not possible, right? Like theoretically that would make sense, but you can't actually have a decentralized currency, et cetera. And as you kind of disprove their skepticism, they slowly become more and more convinced, uh, which I think everyone kind of has to take that, that timeline, if you will. Uh, there's a couple of other 
types of assets or currencies in uh, the, this crypto industry. So we've got things like central bank digital currencies. We have what I'll call more of the, the corporate or private stable coins. And then we have a lot of the altcoins. Maybe walk me through those three types of assets and kind of how you see them playing into the industry. And then we'll get into what Facebook's doing and, and how you kind of see where where the path for, uh, for the yeah. company to go. Yeah, happy to. So, I mean, look, if, if you look at the that from the most stable to the less stable uh, series of assets, I think, you know, it really starts uh, from the most stable uh, from stable coins. Uh, and there, there are a variety of number of stable coins and the way that they're configured. And, uh, and I think, you know, the attributes, and I, I covered that in my medium post, but the attributes of a good stable coin uh, are actually one, a reserve that is backed one for one. Uh, because, you know, some of them that have been created were not backed one for one. Uh, and I can elaborate on why that that matters later if you want. But, you know, one for one backing, meaning that if you have to mit, mint one unit of a stable coin, you need to put the equivalent dollar amount in a reserve for the stable coin to actually exist. Um, the second thing is what you put in that reserve. So, you know, what are the assets that are backing every dollar that you put into a stable coin? Uh, and I personally feel that a good stable coin should only have cash and very short term uh, treasuries. Uh, and that's it. And uh, if you put more, uh, you know, or riskier assets uh, in reserve, then you risk uh, at some point if there's a really black swan event to break a peg of sorts and uh, and people wouldn't be able to get their money out uh, or their full dollar out for for each unit of a dollar that they purchased of that stable coin. Um, and and so I, you know, those are the 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 biggest things. It's like you know the reserve, the one to one backing, what you put in it. Uh, and then there's the transparency of it. You know, is there a way for consumers and uh, regulators alike to actually audit what's in that reserve and the way that the reserve is managed uh, in such a way that you have enough of a guarantee of a consumer protection uh, if, uh, if uh, you know, black swan events uh, happen? And I would argue that actually a very well-designed stablecoin, like the one I just described, uh, offers better protections than almost any other form uh, of balance that you can hold in a wallet today. Um, or if there wasn't FDIC insurance, actually, I would argue uh, a bank account. Uh, but there is FDIC insurance, thankfully. Um, so uh, so that's stable coins. Then I would argue that you know Bitcoin, Ethereum, are you know the next class of asset they're volatile but they're not you know as volatile as the third category of assets the altcoins um and i think that those two serve two different purposes right one is really an alternative investment asset in a world that is increasingly uh going uh towards inflation the other one is programmable um, money or decentralized compute depending on who you talk to and then you have altcoins which are you know basically at the full end of the spectrum of DeFi and all of these things, and they're you know basically uh, it's um, anyone luck uh, if uh, if it works out or not, uh, and you know there's a lot of speculative uh, assets. Uh, there are lots of speculative assets out there that uh, that people are trading um, with uh, a high appetite for risk. Basically, walk me. So I'd say those, those are my three categories basically. I think that that's a very fair categorization. Uh, walk me through uh, structurally Facebook's foray into this. So I, most people who are listening to this have heard of a currency, a wallet. They may not understand the relationship between the two. What is inside of Facebook? What is outside? Maybe you can just give us uh, kind of an, yeah, uh, a structural to. overview. 
Yeah, happy to. So basically, um, you know, I feel that stable coins uh, serve one purpose in payment and one purpose only, which is basically to enable movement of value that has been digitized in this case, on top of brand new rails that are cheaper, more open, interoperable, and uh, more accessible than and than the current rails. Uh, and so when we started this journey, uh, and the project was called Libra. Uh, what we envisaged was basically uh, a, a sort of composite uh, currency that uh, stapled together a, a number of other currencies. Uh, and then the underlying infrastructure that would enable people to move money around the world uh, in a seamless way and at a lower cost. Um, and, uh, and, you know, at that point, we realized that, you know, just uh, creating a, a new unit of accounts was really uh, not palatable. And, and, you know, we can talk about the, the first few uh, months of of us announcing Libra and all of that, uh, if you want. But basically, we kind of uh, all jointly decided with uh, the other members uh, of uh, Libra at the time, which is now called the DM Association, uh, to focus on uh, issuing a dollar stablecoin. So what's in Facebook is basically Novi the wallet. Uh, that will be released as soon as possible, but it's ready to go. Um, and then uh, what is completely outside of Facebook is DM, uh, which is this association uh, composed of 26 different companies and social impact partners uh, that is basically building and will operate the network. And, uh, and we have exactly the same voting rights as any other members there. And uh, I sit on the board. Uh, but that's pretty much it. So we we've created uh, this uh, this entity, and we've basically let it uh, uh, get its uh, its own independence uh, from us because we feel that uh, you know no one entity should actually own or have an outsized influence over uh, new payment rails that are meant to be a protocol for money on the internet. We talked earlier about uh, maybe the problem with legacy payments. We also talked a little bit about Facebook already is in the payment game with Facebook Pay. Uh, walk me through Novi and what the vision for that is and, and why stable coins end up being a potential solution to those legacy problems that Facebook has experienced. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, so look, we could have built a traditional wallet and then enabled people using WhatsApp or Messenger or both to interact with that wallet and send money cross-border domestically. Um, but we felt like we had an opportunity at this time, which I think is a very particular time in the development of cryptocurrencies and, and new rails, and to actually build this in such a way that uh, we would build a wallet, but we would also help spur more innovation on payment rails and, uh, and create an interoperable protocol for money. And actually, when you think about it, it's not playing to our advantage to create an interoperable open protocol for money on the internet and build uh, our wallet on top of it, because it's just going to create more competition. So why did we decide to do that is basically because we feel that everyone wins if we have better rails and then people can compete on the better wallet or the better local experience in a certain part of the world, knowing that you can interoperate with all wallets and basically exchange value or move your value or your account to another wallet really easily. And so, you know, at that point, you have a level playing field, so to speak, with more competition and with more competition, you lower costs and you increase accessibility. Uh, and for us also on the Novi side, 
we also understand and realize that in some parts of the world, we're not going to be able to be the ones building the best wallets um, because you know we don't necessarily understand local markets as much as a local company can. And making interoperability a possibility between the Novi wallet and other wallets is actually going to benefit the whole ecosystem built around this new infrastructure. One of the things that uh, really struck me, I think, as I saw you all announce Novi and, and uh, kind of explain what uh, appeared at least publicly to be the vision for it is folks seem to be underestimating the importance of a wallet, especially when you start to look at uh, money as one use case, but also once every asset is digitized, the ability to hold multiple assets, the ability potentially for identity, like you can really start to play this game out uh, a couple of decades when you all look at the product roadmap today, how much of it is focused on kind of what I'll consider more short-term decisions around payment specifically versus an understanding of some of the other potential use cases that a wallet can provide to uh, a user, you know, 10, 20 years uh, down the road if this stuff comes to fruition? Well, right now, and, and you know, I'm a super focused guy, so I like to focus on one use case and uh, really nail it and really solve big problems for, for people at scale and then move on to, to the next one. Uh, but uh, right now, what we're focused on is purely payments. And so both domestic and cross-border payments uh, using the Novi wallet. Uh, and that takes a tremendous amount of effort because in some countries where the Novi wallet will be launched, we're also building capabilities uh, that will enable people to do cash in and cash outs because there's just no uh, adequate banking support in some of these places. And so it takes a lot of effort to actually build the right experience to really, uh, really get to product market fit. Uh, and so that's what we're focused on right now. Uh, once we really get to a place where we can serve a lot of people, earn their trust over a period of time, uh, we definitely want to expand from that. And uh, there are a number of things that we're interested in. Um, I touched briefly on all of the things that uh, will enable uh, over the longer run, like you know, more assets, including things like NFT potentially uh, over time, because we feel that you know people buying NFTs should be able to store them in a high quality wallet and have a really good experience, and that you know that should be part of uh, the the overall experience that you can have with a wallet that uh, that I like to think of metaverse ready wallet basically. Um, so we'll do that and a number of other things. Uh, and I think you know the, the key aspect though is really focusing on solving real people's problems and then you know graduating from there and building uh, more and more services over time. I'm biased. I worked at Facebook. Um, and when I think of that company, I think of one of the, frankly, craziest missions in the world. When you think about the idea of connecting every human um, and, and delivering this net positive impact in the world, um, when it comes to finance or payment rails, it seems like many of the incumbents or legacy players uh, aren't too thrilled about a company with a couple billion users uh, entering into the game. And in this Medium post that you wrote, I want to read one, uh, one one specific paragraph where you said, uh, quote, I've repeatedly heard variations of the argument that the payments and financial services industry shouldn't let Facebook be part of these innovations. I've heard multiple conversations about how this proposal would be so great if only Facebook wasn't involved end quote. Um, and in that, there's kind of two pieces, right? It's like there's the innovation and, and the technology progress, but then there's Facebook's involvement. What do you think it is about Facebook specifically that kind of changes the tune or, or changes the perspective people have on uh, what you all are trying to do? 
Well, so there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, so, no pressure. <laughs> no, no. I mean, look, it, it's fine. I, I'll, I'll happily do it. So, uh, look, I think it's totally fair for people to have a degree of scrutiny of Facebook that is very high. Um, and I think that uh, we have to demonstrate that we can be trustworthy in this industry. And we have to do that by playing in it. And over years of really executing really well and, and, and really earning people's and institutions trust, prove that we can be a force for good in that industry. Uh, and all I'm asking is for a fair shot, right? It's like, you know, the, the part that I was trying to address is basically, you know, I don't think of America as a place where, you know, we single out specific companies from entering an industry um, just because um, there's uh, uh, there are questions uh, about said company, as long as the company can actually meet the regulatory hurdle to operate in the space, which you know clearly uh, you know on on the Novi side we're we're ready there because we've obtained the appropriate licensing to actually operate in the space, uh, and we're eager to go solve big problems. And I think that we have a track record of doing that. And 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 I I brought that up in in my post as well, which is that if you look at communication. Um, the, the world prior to the internet and over-the-top messaging apps was very different. People were paying a dollar a minute for an international call. We were paying like 15 to 25 cents per text message, and sometimes it wouldn't interoperate between mobile operators. And then the internet happened, a protocol for communication and other things. Um, and we built apps uh, on top of this infrastructure, whether it was Messenger uh, or you know, WhatsApp that uh, was acquired, but you know, grew tremendously since we acquired it. Um, and, uh, and we completely changed the game for billions of people who can now communicate in an unlimited free way. And that has made a huge impact in the lives of people who can communicate now for free and do all kinds of things that were completely impossible before, like you know, high fidelity group video chat. Um, and so when you think about all of these things, I think we do have a track record of bringing real benefits to people and reducing costs and broadening access to these services. And that's what we want to do for payments and for money. I think, uh, I think we can actually be a force for good and we're very determined to demonstrate that. Uh, again, I'm biased, but I always tell folks, don't bet against the team at Facebook. They've uh, they've proven themselves over and over again. Um, when you say that you're just looking for a fair shot, uh, help folks understand, like, what are the obstacles in your way? It sounds like they're not regulatory. Uh, is it incumbent players who are kind of standing in the way or, or what are those issues that you've got to overcome or the, the challenges in order to be able to operate the way that you want to? No, so I think, like, I think we need to se to separate what has happened uh, on the Novi side, where basically we went out there and met with uh, state authorities and a number of other countries' regulators to get approval to run and operate a wallet. Um, and, uh, and we've done that and we uh, will continue to engage with those key regulators over time to prove and demonstrate that uh, we're trustworthy and we're a trustworthy player in the space. Then there's the whole Libra project or what is now called DM. Uh, which, you know, first when we introduced it was kind of taken as a product that was about to launch. Um, and at the time it was a white paper and an idea and the goal of actually publishing it early, which is unusual uh, for technology companies, typically they launch products and then they explain what it is, was to actually socialize uh, what our intentions were 
and to try to figure out how we could work together with the industry, with key regulators to actually improve the state of things in payments. Um, and so we put a first step forward with that original white paper. Uh, and then it was pretty clear that uh, a lot of uh, different institutions and people were not that thrilled with this idea. Uh, and then the team uh, at DM, uh, which uh, you know, after a period of time became a completely independent team, uh, started really engaging with regulators around the world, taking their constructive feedback in. And their, you know, some of the concerns were absolutely valid concerns. You know, things around anti-money laundering and sanctions uh, and stability and consumer protection. Uh, and sovereignty. Um, and so I feel that, you know, from my vantage point, all and every single one of these concerns were actually addressed uh, over the period of time of the two years or so since we first announced uh, Libra. Uh, and, and then, you know, they're just undoubtedly on top of addressing regulatory concerns, uh, there's definitely a little bit of pressure on whether Facebook should enter or not enter uh, this space. And, you know, for the reasons I discussed with you before, uh, first of all, DM is not Facebook. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we feel like we can actually be a solution provider and bring real solutions to the big problems that, uh, that many people experience here at home and abroad. Uh, and I think we, we, we should have a fair shot, you know, give us the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, and I think we'll prove to be trustworthy and a trustworthy player in, in this industry. David, you, you've got to realize that in today's environment, ideas can be scary to people sometimes. So it, it, uh, knowing Facebook and kind of the mantra of code wins arguments, um, I don't think people realize how rare it would be to publish a white paper and, uh, kind of elicit conversation rather than just go build the product. Um, when you had a lot of the responses and uh, both support and criticism from the audience once uh, you guys actually announced this, did that change anything internally in terms of ambition, plans? You know, obviously there was kind of the moving of Libra out to Diem and, and now as an independent entity. Was there anything else that kind of changed that uh, either good or bad in hindsight that that happened? No, so the ambition hasn't changed. And by the way, the fact that Libra became an independent entity and renamed into DM, like the renaming wasn't part of the plan, but certainly the fact that the entity was independent from Facebook was definitely part of the plan. And if you read the original white paper, you can see that this was clearly laid out. Um, but uh, but I think you know that the key changes uh, are basically that instead of having a multi-currency stablecoin, you have a dollar backed stablecoin uh, that will basically match like the value of a dollar at all times. Um, on the other side of it, you have a DM association and uh, its regulatory perimeter that changed from being uh, based in Switzerland, which you know might have made sense when you had a multi-currency idea or issuing uh, many stable coins, but when you're issuing a dollar denominated stable coin, uh, probably didn't make much sense anymore. So that was all brought back into the US within the US regulatory perimeter. And then I think, you know, for the rest, the process of engaging with international and US regulators has made the, the, the project so much better because I think that now at this point in time, we actually went through all of these exercises of understanding how to design a network um, an asset and a wallet uh, that is actually going to be best in class when it comes to consumer protections and value to be delivered. And so uh, I feel quite good about the journey in terms of 
all of the positive impact that those conversations have had on the on the project. Uh, and I think you know now the time has come to bring it to the world uh, and to show the value that it can bring. You mentioned earlier the metaverse. Um, there's obviously a lot of uh, rumors and conversation around Facebook and, uh, and the metaverse. Uh, there was the recent product demo uh, that was done in terms of kind of the metaverse-esque work environment. Um, that is so cool, by the way, if you haven't tried it. So I was sure. going to ask you, because I saw you tweet at one point saying, listen, I know people see it, but until you try it, you don't you really understand. it, yeah. Okay. Uh, walk me through kind of how Novi, metaverse, Facebook, like, like how do you see these things coming together? Uh, as we kind of move forward into this virtual uh, kind of empowered world? So happy to like, so first of all, when I think about the metaverse that my first reaction originally was like, okay, this is going to take a number of years to become mainstream. And the problems that we want to solve for people are really squarely in today's analog and sometimes bridged digital world. Uh, where so many people are left behind and can't pay or access the uh, the financial system. Uh, but when you come to think about it, the interesting aspect of the metaverse, which is basically a fully digital environment that you can evolve in and, and do all kinds of different things, um, is the, 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 it's basically the view that you can relinquish all things analog when you create for a fully digital world. And so what does that mean? So it means that if payment networks and uh, digital currencies were actually invented for a fully digital world, they would be interoperable. So you should be able to bring your own wallets to the metaverse and use your own wallet and move money and value around really easily. It should be programmable because money in a fully digital world should be programmable and you should be able to enter into contracts via smart contracts with one another or with creators uh, that would enable you to create new business models uh, and enable creators to make a ton more money while consumers could have the benefit of doing all kinds of things that the current payment system uh, doesn't enable. Like, you know, for instance, renting a digital asset for the time you need it and then passing it on to the next user, um, which, you know, is hard to do uh, if you don't have smart contracts and programmable money and blockchains to actually store your digital assets um, in a way that is completely, you know, completely independent of any central custodian. So you can do all kinds of different things. And so when you think about uh, what is a metaverse ready digital wallet, uh, and when you walk your way back, to what you need to do for the real world, it presents a lot of advantages because you actually free your mind of constraints that are currently in the way of building the best possible product for today, not for the future metaverse. Uh, and I found that exercise to be super, super interesting. And, uh, and I think it enables us and will continue to enable us to make really good decision and to build a product that will be future proof as well. I've got two more questions for you. One is uh, uh, an entertaining one. How much fun are you having right now? It seems like you just are really enjoying a lot of this and, and kind of thinking about both uh, where the world is moving, but also the product that you're building and and, uh, and kind of just working on this. Is that an accurate uh, assessment from my side? I would say there are two parts of me. There's a part of me <laughs> that is having a ton of fun working with the best team I've ever had on a product that's really exciting. Uh, and there's a part of me that's really eager to ship that product and to start delivering on the benefits that we've set out to deliver on. And, uh, and that, that part is less fun. Uh, I, you know, I think that 
Uh, I have not known, I have not been known to be the most patient person. Uh, I think, you know, this uh, whole journey has uh, has revealed uh, and built a new skill set uh, in, in my toolkit here. Uh, so that part, you know, I, I, I mean, we're all very eager to start delivering the value. And I think, you know, if you met anyone on the team, you'll see that everyone is super mission driven and really wants to change the game for people at a super large scale, if possible. And if we're given uh, the, the the benefit of the doubt and, and have an, uh, an ability to earn people's trust, I think uh, I think we'll do very well. And we're all very eager to to get started on that journey. Makes a, uh, makes a ton of sense. And the last question for you is, uh, for those that are watching or listening, what's kind of the the pitch for Novi or, or what is that future vision? If you could just spend you know a minute or so talking about uh, somebody that you just met and you said, hey, I'm working on Novi, here's what we're building. How do you pitch it to uh, an individual or an organization? Well, simply that it's a wallet that should enable you to send or receive money as easily as sending a text message today, period. No matter where you are, uh, and and that's it. And so uh, I think that, you know, if you look at uh, even cross-border payments or remittances uh, today, um, which, you know, is super sensitive because it targets people who typically don't necessarily have the means to pay these fees, it costs on average 6.5% to send a payment cross-border, but much, much more on certain corridors. It takes three days. And then on the other side of it, you have a person who actually has to go walk to a cash out point and sometimes wait in line hours in a high crime area um, for money to 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 be received? And I think that you know that the 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 interesting thing is that a lot of times uh, some of these money transfer services give you a receipt and people snap a photo of that receipt and send it uh, on the other side of the world uh, via messenger or WhatsApp and uh, and imagine how much better it would be if you could just send it from there and, and 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 the person on the other side would receive it you know in a second and would be able to use that balance immediately it would and for free uh i think that would be a, a pretty big game changer for cross-border payments but also for domestic payments where if you have interoperability if you have an open protocol for money if you have programmable money uh it's just going to unleash a, a tremendous amount of value for people I tend to think that uh, connecting folks, which is Facebook's mission, uh, has obviously been a huge inflection point and net positive uh, impact on the world. Uh, if you guys are able to connect people financially and, and drastically reduce the uh, friction, it'd be another positive impact on, uh, on folks as well. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Is there anywhere that you want to send people, whether it's uh, Facebook specific, follow you on Twitter? Where, where would you like to send people if they have questions or want to learn more? Yeah, so they can definitely go to Novi.com if uh, they want to have a good sense for what's coming on the wallet side. Uh, of course, you should uh, be, feel free to follow me on Twitter if you want the latest updates. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, that's it. Awesome, David. Listen, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, we'll definitely have to do it again in the future as you guys continue to progress. My pleasure and good to see you again.